Hello and welcome to Learning from Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And today's legend is a legend, none other than Chris Joy, legend of the money markets, bond uh, fund manager, and uh, general all-round good guy and economist. Gee, I don't think anyone's ever called you a good guy before, Paul. Um, uh, Chris, have they? They certainly haven't called me Paul, but uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on the uh, show, buddy. No, pleasure, mate. I, I just stopped interviewing Paul Rickard, who, in the, who at least in his mind is a legend. And I guess the fact he started Comsec makes him fairly legendary. Agreed, mate. Yeah, Paul is definitely a legend. <laughs> okay. Now, what surprised me and what I wanted to get you on the program for is that you've made a really big call and you do big calls in the past and historically I've supported you and thought you were absolutely right. But this one, you came out, out of the box and you said, well, house prices will fall by 20%. And I thought, well, that's a big call. And I figured that it needed to be explained because a headline is one thing. The, the true story is another. And after delving into some of your, your writing as a consequence of this, I know you're not telling people house prices are going to fall 20% next year. So why don't you tell us exactly what you're thinking? Yeah, mate, it's pretty simple. Uh, I made the point that if and when the RBA raises rates, if we get... Uh, 100 basis points of hikes. Uh, our modelling suggests that after that occurs, prices will probably fall 15 to 25%. But between now and then, we think uh, <clears throat> prices will continue to rise. So probably by another 5 to 10%. Uh, we've already had 20% growth since September last year. And we've had 30% growth since the end of the last downturn in mid-2019. Right. So let, I think most people will be wondering then, what's your timeline for interest rate rises? So because you, you've nominated 100 basis points. That's basically four interest rate rises for the, the, the Reserve Bank. Not a lot historically, but we are living in unusual historical times, aren't we? Yeah, so I think the RBA will look at lifting rates probably in late 2022 through to sometime in uh, 23. So that's when they'll start. So that's, uh, you know, <clears throat> at least a year away. Uh, and currently the RBA is incredibly resistant to the idea of hiking next year. Uh, I think they'll go slowly. So I would expect about one hike every quarter. So we might get 100 bips by the end of 23 slash early uh, 24, depending on the pace at which they hike. And I should say that uh, if they go very slowly, it's possible that prices don't quickly correct 15 to 25%. So <clears throat> if we had a, an adjustment in house prices that was much more slow, uh, incomes would continue growing over that time. And that would change our forecast for prices. So that would reduce our expected uh, losses. But I'd stress that house prices nationally are up 72% <clears throat> since the start of um, the big boom in 
2012. So really the big boom began in 2013, but the end of uh, the preceding correction was 2011. So prices started climbing in <coughs> January 2012. And so we've had a, an asset class that over the last 10 years has given us capital gains of six to 7% per annum. <coughs> and these drawdowns are quite normal. So prices fell 10% between 2017 and 2019. We, uh, we were, <coughs> if I can say so, mate, the first to forecast pretty much every leg of the cycle since the start of 2008. And this volatility is characteristic of all asset classes particularly uh, levered asset classes. And I'm not at all worried about a, a 15 to 25% correction. Mm. And, and Chris, we, we should also explain, these are average numbers, aren't they? So some suburbs could fall by more and some suburbs or towns can rise, uh, rise by less. Yeah, this is a crucial point, Peter, and it often head fakes people. People will say to me, oh, but you know, in 2008, you know, Eastern Sydney property fell 20, 30%. It might have, but across the country, prices only corrected about 6% in 2008. So yes, I'm talking about averages. And um, <clears throat> it does mean that in some areas, you'll see bigger falls of you know, 25 to possibly you know, 40, 50%. But equally, in other areas, uh, you won't see falls that are as steep as the, uh, the average. I should also stress that people think, or economists believe, that to get the cash rate back to normal, the RBA needs to go to 2 3 or 4%. I think the RBA will stop after about 1% to 1.5% of um, <clears throat> increases. And so again, I don't think we have much to fear. We're probably gonna get price increases of another five to 10% before the RBA starts. <clears throat> that would mean that um, since June 19, we've had capital gains of 35 to 40%. Right. So let, let's try and work out why the Reserve Bank kept telling people they wouldn't raise interest rates until 2024. And it wasn't a promise, but gee, it was pretty well a committed undertaking. Did they, did they misread how quickly the economy is going to rebound? Because it hasn't rebounded yet, has it? But 2022, on my reckoning, you might have seen Bill Evans get put a 7% number on 2022. Um, if Bill's right, interest rates will rise will rise even quicker than what you're probably even suggesting. Yeah, so <clears throat> the RBA was far too pessimistic about the downturn, and it has probably also underestimated the strength of the rebound. Um, and the RBA still believes, for the record, it won't hike currently until 2024. They've dropped the promise. I mean, they say it wasn't a promise, but they certainly told everyone <clears throat> that they wouldn't hike before 24. Um, <clears throat> I'm very bullish on the economy. 
super bullish over the next year. And the inflation data has been a little more frisky than the RBA expected. So core inflation is at 2.1%. And that's in the <clears throat> target band for the RBA. The RBA's target band is two to three. It thought core inflation would be closer to uh, one and three quarter percent. So that's been a, a little bit of a surprise. And I do think the economy will continue to surprise on the upside. <clears throat> and that's why we could see the RBA hiking in the back end of next year. Yeah. But I think for, for housing, it'll be a price adjustment. Uh, hopefully I'm wrong. You know, hopefully it'll only be a 10 to 15% correction. But as night follows day, I'm absolutely convinced that 100 basis points of hikes over uh, a fairly short interval of say six to 12 months <clears throat> will give us at least uh, 15% uh, or 15 percentage points worth of house price falls nationally. Now, Chris, you are the first to underline the importance of the loss of foreign workers um, uh, in terms of house prices, you know, um, and you said that you kind of expected them to be back by the middle of this year. Do you, a, do you still believe that? Because that's kind of a big impact on wage pressure, isn't it? If they don't come back for a year, for example, then all those locals, local businesses who need employees are going to have to wage, uh, increase wages to do that, which the Reserve kind of wanted. But if the foreign workers come in, say, by March or April, well, then the pressure on wages will be less. What's your view on that? Yeah, so to be clear, we thought the borders would open up um, at the start of next year to foreign workers. So we, we, our forecast was we'd reach herd immunity by January in terms of uh, <clears throat> our definition was vaccinating 90% uh, or more of all adults. And I think we'll be right about that. Um, and then we argued that once we got herd immunity, <clears throat> the, uh, the government would open up the borders after the, the next election. So we think the next election will be in March or May. And we've argued since 2020 that the government will run a very aggressive skilled <clears throat> migration and student program. And we believe, and we've said this for a long time, that that will put downward pressure on wages the issue is it's probably not going to prevent some stronger wages data before that occurs. And that may force the RBA's hand. But I think long-term migration is the key and migration will help us avoid um, heavy hikes of say <clears throat> 200 to 300 basis points. Why is that, Chris? How does immigration um, contain interest rate rises? It's just demand and supply. So currently the unemployment rate's very low, but if we can bring those skilled workers back, 
that will provide more labor supply and put downward pressure on wages. So when COVID hit, Australia <clears throat> lost uh, 334,000 foreign workers. And I think that's what you were talking about before. We, we were one of the first to point out that that had the effect of <clears throat> uh, collapsing our unemployment rate. So that pushed down our unemployment rate <clears throat> by more than two percentage points. And so by allowing those people to come back, that will take pressure off wage costs and it will allow the RBA to <clears throat> keep interest rates lower than they otherwise would be. So I think the normal cash rate for the RBA is one to one and a half percent, which is not too far away in terms of hikes. Heaven help us if I'm wrong. And if we get a major wage and inflation shock that requires the RBA to put the cash rate back to two, three or 4%. In that scenario, um, house prices would need to fall much further. Yeah. Now, what are supply, supply chain problems? Because it seems to me uh, supply chain problems are adding to costs. Uh, anyone tries to buy a car now, are lucky to get a car. If they do, they're going to pay a lot more than they would maybe by the middle of next year when things have improved. So in that interim period, we've got, we've got wage pressure, we've got supply chain cost pressures. That, to me, explains why we should expect transitory inflation. But after the middle of the year, I'm kind of expecting inflation to come off the boil. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I really do. I think um, a lot of the current pressure is temporary. And the RBA is actually, they're already looking through this because headline inflation has been <clears throat> above 3%. And I am with you that I think in the next year, you'll start to see some of those <clears throat> supply chain shocks uh, work their way through the system, much like a pig through a python. A pig through a python? You don't hear that analogy very often. I think I'm actually borrowing that, mate, from Roy Robertson, who, uh, who used that expression about 20 years ago. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll run with that. Now, now okay, let's take this because you, your expertise, apart from just about every area of knowledge that, that the world's ever come across, is the bond market, the money market. That's where you are renowned for your knowledge um, and, 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 and the fund you manage for, 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 for um, the Switzer High Yield Fund is a floating rate bond. Is this going to actually help the overall returns for that fund? Because if, if the interest rates are going up, is that going to improve the returns? Yeah, it will actually, because we don't carry interest rate risk in the Switzer fund. It's fully floating rate. And so last month was a great example. The Aussie benchmark bond index, the composite bond index, it fell. 3.55% in the month. And it's down uh, over 5% over the last year. Um, by way of contrast, our floating rate Switzer fund uh, actually had a, a strong positive return in October. So we were up 16 basis points in the month net of fees. And um, 
over the last year, the uh, Switzer fund has actually returned a positive 2.62% net of fees. Um, and that compares to the Osborne floating rate note index, which would be a reasonable benchmark, which has returned 1.73%. So we've beaten that benchmark after fees by almost 100 basis points. And for those benchmarks that do carry interest rate risk, like that composite bond index that I mentioned, uh, as I cited earlier, that's actually fallen by more than 5% over the last year. Mm. All right, now the, the, the reason why I ask this, it's great that that fund has done well, but on the other hand, part of the reason why the interest rates are going up is that the, 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 the yields in the bond markets are going up and they're, they're really spooking tech stocks. And, uh, you know, so I've got an interest in tech stocks as well. Uh, Chris, do you think the bond market has got ahead of itself because they're worried about this transitional inflation we were talking about? And, and will they eventually maybe just hose down their, their fears about inflation? when the supply chain problems and the labour supply problems get fixed up maybe by the middle of the year? Yeah, so <clears throat> I actually do have concerns about a long-term inflation shock okay. over the next three to 10 years, right? Um, and that, that's a bit of a worry. But looking over the next year or two, I'm very much in your camp. And the 10-year government bond yield in Australia, which is like the RBA cash rate over the next 10 years, Recently, you know, that's jumped from down near 1% up to over 2% in the last month. As I mentioned earlier, my view is that the, the neutral RBA cash rate is probably around 1% to 1.5%. So I do think that the bond market has priced in fully all the bad inflation news, if you want to put it that way. And if anything, there's downside risk in the next 12 months. If inflation does settle down, then those yields <clears throat> could pull back and you'd actually get quite good returns uh, from what is known as durational, from taking interest rate risk. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in that floating rate fund we run for you guys, um, that prices off the RBA cash rate. So the way we benefit there is if in the next year, the RBA lifts interest rates, will earn a margin above that cash rate. <clears throat> so in the last year, as I mentioned, we earned 2.6%. So about 2.5% above the 0.1% cash rate. Mm. If the cash rate's 2%, or in, in my expectation is it'll be, it'll be around 1%, then hopefully we can still earn Two and a half percent above that one percent cash rate, or you know three and a half percent. But the key point is that uh, in all the I run uh, about uh, well north of eight billion dollars today across thirty five strategies, and uh, thirty four of the thirty five strategies had strong positive returns in the month of October. That's important because the month of October uh, saw a huge interest rate shock, where that 10-year government bond yield jumped, as I mentioned, to over 2%. And that absolutely destroyed fixed rate bonds or anyone carrying duration risk. So mm -hmm. we had levered strategies that returned 
um, you know, over 1.5% in the month alone in October. And, um, but, but I, I do think to your point, Peter, that we are moving into an inflationary world. That, that is my conviction. However, um, I don't think we need hyperinflation in the short term. Um, I do think inflation will normalize. And I think there are some def deflationary headwinds, particularly for Australia. I do think we're gonna get a tsunami of skilled migration in students in the next year. And <clears throat> that will be disinflationary. Um, another impact on Australia's, I think our currency will probably appreciate a bit. So that will be disinflationary because we'll be able to buy stuff that we import from overseas <clears throat> more cheaply. Uh, and then finally, I think that uh, a, lot of, a lot of Australians will travel overseas and spend money on tourism overseas. And that will probably be a net negative for our, our domestic tourism. Because <clears throat> when the borders were closed, domestic tourism was a net beneficiary. Mm. Uh, now, let's finish up in the really big picture, because some people are really worried. And there are people who tend to be always really worried about lots of things, Chris. But over the, the period 2022, from here to 2022, are you expecting, you've, you're bullish on growth, are you bullish on stocks? Because you do have you do, do some stock strategies for, for individual people and whatever. Are you bullish on stocks? And are, are there any really big worries out there for you or are those big worries more likely 23, 24 and beyond? I think that um, as long-term interest rates climb, and again, I think a lot of the bad news for stocks is already in uh, the, the yield for uh, the, the long-term interest rate benchmarks. But as we go into that inflationary world, <clears throat> higher discount rates are generally bad news for um, all asset prices, housing, commercial property, and stocks. So I think if the Fed hikes next year, and <clears throat> assuming the RBA does the same thereafter, um, I think that that's perhaps somewhat negative for equity valuations. We do have uh, one portfolio or a couple actually where we can <clears throat> trade bank equities and we held bank equities from mid 2020 through to very recently. But we've actually exited the major banks. Um, I, <clears throat> I do think there's a bit more upside left in the, um, the majors, but <clears throat> they've become fairly, I think, fully priced. And I think that's also true of the equity market. I think the balance of risks for equities are to the downside. So I'm, uh, I'm probably a little bit more bearish uh, on equities, but I think they, they, could, uh, they could run uh, <clears throat> or continue to run until central banks start lifting their cash rates. Mm. I think when central banks lift their cash rates, <clears throat> I think you'll see long-term uh, government bond yields potentially rise further. Particularly if we see, and I think this is one to watch, an inflation problem emerge in the US. So we might have a situation where we don't have a problem domestically, but there could be a problem in the US because wages growth in the US is very brisk. 
and they have labor shortages. So I would worry about global equities uh, and <clears throat> downside risks uh, if, if we see stronger inflation emerge. Or let me put that differently. If we don't see the currently very strong US inflation normalize. So that's going to be an important watch. Clearly, if US inflation is contained, good for stocks. If inflation keeps rising, bad for stocks. And, and, I've got to say and I think the only place you'll, able, you'll be able to hide is uh, in cash, potentially some floating rate strategies and, um, and then long short strategies or strategies that have an ability to profit from equities falling. Okay, mate, great to talk to you as always. I hope you're right on most things. I think we got, I, I want to I play the stock market 2022 and get cautious in 2023. And maybe your interest rate scenario will be consistent with that. Yeah, well, I've actually been a bit surprised, mate, that stocks haven't tapered as long rates um, <clears throat> rose quite sharply over the last few months. And I think that's very interesting. Um, we saw in 2018, 2018 is a great rehearsal for what could happen. We saw the 10-year government bond yield in the US jump from you know, circa 1% to 3.2%. We saw strong wage growth and equities fell, uh, <clears throat> I think, about 20% in uh, a period in 2020 from peak to trough. So that's the watch out. Um, but I do, listen, I wouldn't be as surprised if equities could defy gravity and appreciate a little further uh, before we get those first hikes. Yeah, great stuff. Chris Joy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, mate. And that was Chris Joy of Coolabar Capital talking about interest rates and where the economy is going. Chris has a very good uh, track record in forecasting and cannot be easily ignored. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. Thank you.